Hi, this is Bobby Whitlock. And I'm Coco Carmel. Welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. Once again, every week, without fail. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Kudzu Radio Hour number 145. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, March the 20th, 2021. 2021? Where does the time go? I thought it was 1976. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Today, uh, we have an all-new program for you, and uh, we're going to be talking about all about that bass, about that bass, about that bass, no treble. The, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Essential bass players in rack and roll, or in any genre, actually, but essential bass players. Also, we'll be doing another round of our favorite game, High Fidelity. And we've got some good music on tap for you today as well. So sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from, oh, I'm sorry, that's a different show. Um, I don't know, I'm in a Gilligan mood. What can I say, little buddy? Um, the program, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Springer Mountain Farms in Georgia. Gus Arendale, Susan Wade, and the whole gang of wonderful people at Springer Mountain Farms. Man, they have got the best chicken in the world. Fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts, none of that junk, just fresh raised on family farms. Now, you know, please, please, please take note of that. Chickens raised on family farms, not corporate farms where they oftentimes just, you know, well, they do a lot of things. We won't even talk about what they do. All we will talk about is what Springer does and they do it the right way. So please, 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 when you're at your market, look for that little blue pack. And I I mean, I get mine in the uh, frozen uh, meat section and I get the boneless skinless chicken breast is my favorite. I mean, there's chicken strips. There's all kinds of stuff. They also have uh, like whole whole chickens, <laughs> whole chickens that are already cooked and frozen. And you just throw them out, heat them up. Um, as a matter of fact, I had one that was sent to they sent to me at uh, Christmas. Man, it's so good. It tasted so so good. I don't know what their ingredients are, but I think that. Uh, they rival those 17 herbs and spices that we've always heard about. <laughs> I really do think they do. So anyway, please, please, please get your chicken at Springer Mountain Farms. That's springermtn.com, springermtn.com. Not only is Springer Mountain chicken healthier for you, but it also tastes mm good. You know, Campbell's soup's not the only thing uh, that, <laughs> that is mm good because, uh, Springer Mountain, uh, Springer Mountain chicken is as well. So I'm reading this and all of a sudden something pops up right on top of it on my computer screen. Please pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. 
The program is also brought to you by our friends, more friends out at uh, a band called the Boxmasters out of Los Angeles. Los Angeles, as Harlow Guthrie used to say. The Boxmasters, man, they're a wonderful band. They got a very 60s kind of jingle jangle vibe that I love. And uh, man, great songwriting, prolific songwriters. Bud Thornton and J.D. Andrew uh, are the new Lennon and McCartney. They write songs like crazy. Uh, they just got through recording a new Christmas album. Man, how about that? And there's at least one or two other albums already recorded and, and in the can, as we say. Currently, though, the one that we're promoting, that they're promoting, that I'm promoting, is Light Rays. And you can get this wonderful album on CD, vinyl, downloads. You can get them over at uh, theboxmasters.com, theboxmasters.com. Now, the band does have plans to tour uh, this summer because, I mean, they had to cancel last summer because of COVID. But hopefully, things are going to change. And they'll be able to go over to Europe. I hope so. Um, you can find out all about the tour, uh, order merchandise, not only the music, but also uh, everything from shot glasses to ashtrays, all the essentials at theboxmasters.com. And please make sure to follow them on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram. On Instagram, it's the, uh, the Boxmasters Official is the name of it. And it's updated every single day, pretty much. Yeah, I think it is every day. So the Boxmasters, yeah, baby. Have you seen the current issue of Kudzu Magazine? It's free, my favorite price. It's issue number 41. Wow. Issue number 41. And it features a cover story, an interview with guitar guy, Freddie Salem from the Outlaws, who is still playing like crazy and doing all sorts of recording sessions and just a fantastic guitar player, man. I mean, it's, it's interesting to read, uh, to, uh, read about his, uh, history. I mean, besides playing with the outlaws, he played on a lot of sessions, including Barbara Streisand. Yeah, that's right. We dig into the archives for a classic kudzu interview with Alabama songwriter, peanut Montgomery. Also, there's an interview with yours truly by Tony Pijar. Articles on interesting uh, unreleased albums and some records you may have missed. Um, also, loads of CD reviews, DVD reviews, book reviews, and a couple of recipes for you to whip up. Our TV couch potato column and Southern Accents is back with a brand new column, as is Big A knows it all, <laughs> and he does and the rock and roll health check electra a list uh there's also a list of the many musicians that we lost in 2020 it was a huge list also in this issue uh we present the 2020 class in the southern rock hall of fame all this and more and all free at kudzumag.com k-u-d-z-o-o-m-a-g kudzumag.com all right, folks, uh, I'll also like to ask you to please uh, check out the Ambassador of Southern Rock channel on YouTube. 
I got a lot of interviews on there, including Roger Earl from Foghat, uh, Sean Murphy from Little Feet, and my friend Dwayne Fields and I have been doing things like the best Southern rock guitar players, the best Southern rock singers, the best Southern rock albums, all that kind of stuff. And um, we're having a good time. Hope you'll check it out. That's just, just go over to YouTube and look for Ambassador of Southern Rock. Anytime you want to write to us, please, we welcome your mail, uh, you know, comments, opposing viewpoints, love letters, tweets, everything. Well, it tweets, it's Twitter. But anyway, write to us at kudzumag at yahoo.com, k-u-d-z-o-o-m-a-g.com at yahoo.com, kudzumag at yahoo.com. Uh, and uh, remember, when you write to us, there's always a chance that we might uh, write you back, and we might write you back and say, hey, send us your address. We want to send you some free stuff. Yeah, hell, baby. Well, okay. So anyway, uh, that's going to, uh, that's all, they got all the commercials out of the way. So let's rock out a little bit and, uh, we're going to play a song and then we will be back with the whole hee haw gang. Uh, I just felt like getting a little punky today. So I'm going back to my college days and, uh, we're going to play one now by the clash. How about that? Turn it up. London calling baby.
Simonon on bass guitar, man. It takes me back to my college days. Good old good times. Oh, good times. Good times. Please welcome my partners in crime. Three guys that play first, second, and third base. And I'm not saying which place, which position, Billy Eli, Patrick beach and Jim, never call him Jimmy hip hill. Hey y'all. Hey man, 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 man. It's good Amen. to see everybody. You too. How's everything in Massachusetts, Billy? Ah, man, it's pretty good here. You know, first day of spring and, uh, oh, yeah. so, you know, it's cold and bright and muddy and yeah, it's perfect, man. Love it. I'm going to tell you what I, I got to say, I was, I, I was thinking a little while ago, I was like, I can't wait till we start talking on the podcast. I'm going to just say the first thing I want to say is that. I'm sitting in my office this morning listening to birds sing. Yeah. You talk about life's simple pleasures. Yeah. yeah. Man, I'm like, man, yeah, that sounds good. I, I do, man, I, I don't I don't want to sidetrack the yeah, show right. too much, but I, I do want to say, uh, even in Texas, when you know, all the years I lived in Austin, and uh one of the things that I always like, you know, it, it, coming up in the next two weeks, uh Pat and, and Jim, where y'all are, it's gonna be too goddamn hot to even live. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's on its way, but we there's saw... but there's a real short window in between, like that deadly ice storm two weeks ago, and then the deadly heat wave that, that's about a, a three weeks out from now. There's a spot in there that I used to just just love, and it would it would be perfect, like spring weather. It'd be seventy four degrees. It'd be sunny. The days would be long. And like on Friday, you would on Friday afternoon, you'd notice the first green buds popping out of the trees. And by Sunday evening, they were fully blown. <laughs> and and I always like that about Texas, how fast that happens. And it's just starting to happen up here. But I know from the previous two years <laughs> that it uh man, the but it just it, the the actual the actual blooming and budding process here takes about six weeks six or eight weeks you know well we were uh when we were on the road yesterday the blue bonnets are starting to pop well yeah i'm just setting them th- that and with the occasional indian paintbrush in the middle you know uh, it's times like these that i wish our podcast was video because uh everybody could see patrick s- spoiling his new puppy zoe while ago i mean talk about a spoiled child my gosh that is a sweet puppy so what we want to do i wanted to say this anyway i'm going to dedicate the podcast today in the memory of our favorite three-legged dog good old gibson yeah loving memory of uh, gibson and in celebration of baby zoe thank you very much which is not only the name of joey Parrish's dog but it's also the name of my granddaughter (laughs) that's a popular name these days man yeah it is and uh, english 
If you're an English golden retriever or somebody's granddaughter, you got a real good shot of being. And also dog. the uh, name of one of my uh, favorite cute girls on TV, Zoe Deschanel. Oh, there like you her. go. I like her. So he says, win-win situation. Time now for that game we like to call dun, 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 High Fidelity. That's the theme song. Uh, and you didn't pay anything for it, so that's why it sounds like that. Um, high Fidelity. And I've got two questions. And okay. I guess we'll just go ahead and do both of them. Yeah, do so, both. I, I didn't think of one this week. Well, that's amazing because yours would be too hard anyway. <coughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. <laughs> this the, some in okay. Once again, we've done now 45 shows. The four of us. Man, it, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it, it's. <laughs> It's been a hell of a year. Forty-five <laughs> shows, it's and been uh, a hell of a year. And I cannot honestly remember what's been done and what hasn't been done. So you know, if we do something again, you're liable to get different answers anyway. So it really doesn't matter. Um, the first question is: first album that you bought with your own money that you earned, Jim. Shit, I don't know. Uh, did <laughs> I? Did I? I mean, I, I was buying. Wait, that's records. Billy's answer. I, I've been, <laughs> yeah, I've, been that. Buying, I've been buying records since I was like eight. So, the crossing the line between money I got for allowance and money I earned is is probably impossible for me to say. Yeah. Um, let, you know, let, I, I think let's, that I, let's let's put a twist on it. First landmark album that you bought with landmark. your own money. Uh, it's, it's either, and these are going to be, uh, uh, these are going to be, uh, records that are extremely different. Um, for me, uh, the landmark album is probably the monkey's headquarters. Um, the first okay. record they played themselves on, uh, and the other one, the other one could have been, and I probably got these about the same time, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Deja Vu. Yeah, there you go, uh, man. Yeah. Oh, I, I was about, Let, I don't know, probably go, eight, or nine, couple, eight or nine because, when I bought those. I want to go next because uh, Patrick's going to love my answer. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Can't wait. And, I, and, I had, and we're talking albums. I had bought tons of singles. But uh, but the first, and like Jim, I, I got these right around the same time. And these are landmark albums. I'm not counting Disney shit that I bought at the you know that right. you got for a dollar with a with a fill up at the Gulf Station. You know. All right. Uh, I don't remember which order these were in, and I got them within a, uh, in like a week of each other. Uh, Kiss Alive. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, and uh, Frampton comes alive. I, I really liked live albums. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and uh, you know, and and I bought those. I'm trying to remember what I paid for those albums. It's like three dollars and fifty cents piece. Yeah, like that, man. I mean, it, it was yeah, it was real. It was really cheap. But though, yeah, and those are again landmark albums. You know, I'm sure I had bought, you know, like the collected works of Lauren Green or something. You know, at a, yeah. at a, at a gas station. <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, landmark albums. Yeah, and well. so I figured, I figured, Pat. I figured Pat would li like to kiss. And you'll notice, man, I I'm the hardest core honky tonker here. It, it, funny, my first two landmark albums were both hard rock. Yeah. 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 Yep, 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 <laughs> yep. Well, you uh, know, I uh, 
I, I, my, my trouble began when one year uh, for Christmas, I asked for and got <laughs> Kiss Alive and, uh, and a console stereo with an eight track from Sears. Hell I think, yeah. I think <laughs> though, well, and party of course, time. I, I joined Columbia House and that worked out for me like I did for everybody. They wanted right. like sending me to a collection agency. Right. But when, I you think, were, when you were 12. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm pretty sure the first one that I bought with my own money was Hendrix Smash Hits. And, uh, yeah, man. Oh. Yeah. And I don't oh. have that one anymore. I don't know what happened to it, but I don't have it. But I probably got that one when I was about 14, maybe 13. So oh. started kind of early. Wow. And so I'm, I'm still pondering. I'm, I'm still considering Jim's choices. You, you know, man, having, having played with you for so many years, man, I actually can kind of see that, though. The harmonies and kind of the clean pre- precision, you know, technical aspects of, of like the Crosby, Stills and Nash uh, record, and then mm-hmm. this sort of the, I mean that monkey stuff. It, it just if you could only if you could only pick one word to describe all this stuff, it would have to be hook. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, the thing yeah. about the monkeys headquarters is it's uh it's kind of a garage pop country record because Nesmith had an outsized <laughs> influence and he plays pedal steel not very well, but he plays pedal steel right. all over the record and lots of electric twelve string. And on Crosby Stills Natch and Young, you know, I had an <coughs> older sister who was really into music, as was my older brother. And my older sister had that first Crosby Stills and Nash album with Sweet Judy Blue Eyes and all that stuff on it. And I'd played the hell out of that. And so when it was t- so when Deja Vu came out, and again, I think it came out about 1970, so I would have been nine, maybe. Yeah. I had I had to have a copy of that. You told me you told me one time years ago when we were talking about something kind of like this, and you'd mentioned your older sister's record collection. That was how you got turned on to the monkeys, wasn't it? Well, no, I found the monkeys myself. Uh, my sister, my sister was really a Beatles, Stones, Dylan kind of person, <laughs> and then my brother was—he uh, had a bunch of old forty-fives like the Coasters and Chuck Berry and that stuff. Oh, he and liked he that was, old fifty stuff. And, and then he was a huge Beach Boys guy. Oh hmm. wow! Yeah. Uh, so that was that was. I grew up listening to that stuff. Plus then my parents, big band and Frank Sinatra and show tunes records. Well, well yeah, it's, it's well, kind uh, of, you know, it's kind of a miracle. You're not a cannibal. True. Uh, <laughs> you guys are all a little bit younger than me. Um, a little bit. So uh, my, my, uh, you know, I, I just got through talking about how much I've been, uh, since I've been reading a uh, please kill me. I've been into this whole punk thing. And that being said, uh, you'll understand the first two two albums. I can't remember which one I did got first, but the first two albums that I remember getting uh, as a young teenager, very punk, the Carpenters' "Song for You" album, <laughs> and of course Merle Haggard's "Branded Man." Of course. And again, wow. man, I, I like the I like the weird. I like the weird contrast and, and uh, you know, and, and Bob, man, I mean, you know, grow, again, growing up in the South, I totally get it, man. That, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I'll catch flack for saying, yeah, I, I listened to the Carpenters, but I mean, man, that stuff was what was on the oh, radio and it, it sounded sweet. And it was, I still, I still like to listen to Karen and I still, God only knows how much I love Haggard even to this day. And, uh, right. And when I heard that song on the radio, Branded Man, on the 
WASC AM 1530 Top Gun. I heard that song and I was like, I got to have that record, man. I went out and got that thing at Kmart. Oh, uh, yeah. are we going to, are we going to do recommendations next? Uh, well, yeah, we're going to do recommendations. We got one more question. If you want to do it right quick. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. And then I got a buzz. All right, well, quick. This will be quicker. I have, I have this, a recommendation. So. This, this one can be quick. Um, in keeping with my original fan base of Southern rockers, uh, want to ask you guys who the greatest Southern rock guitar player of all time is Billy, man, you start getting into, I mean, you start getting yeah, into yeah. various degrees. I mean, what do you, what well, it are you doesn't matter. About? You don't, you're we talk, don't have to have a list best, or anything. Talking about best technical player, talking about best guy, right. in talking about it's, most innovative. No, no, guy. no. It's your favorite. The one that I, the, the one that, okay. The one that I think top to bottom is just the most, was just the most accomplished best guitarist. And I'm and I'm gonna go with an original guy, so just take Steve Gaines off the list. He, uh, and I have to go with Toy Caldwell, man. I mean, there he, you go. Guy could play blues. Was a great damn country player, great swing well, player, and you would hear all that stuff. And and then in the middle of and then in the middle of something like uh, heard it in a love song. If you listen, he's doing that little acoustic part. That's just damn near Spanish, man. I, uh, that's true. Doing that little blam, 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 blam. I mean, it's and I saw him in a club in Spartanburg playing the hottest jazz you ever heard in your life. Yeah, he and I I still say he's one of the most underrated guitar players uh, uh, ever. And big time. I I I don't know why that. I don't exactly know why that happened. Uh, you know, when so many of the other man, and I'm fixing get us a lot of hate mail. When so (laughs) many of the other, uh, you know, more renowned famous uh southern rock players i don't i don't it's not that they're bad i just think that a lot of them are kind of one-dimensional they got yeah. kind of got that thing they do and they Damn can it. do that thing but toy toy wasn't that way man i mean he didn't, he didn't do the slide stuff but he's the same as Dwayne, man i mean you guys just played at a just played at a higher level mentally than everybody else you know there you go. i agree jim I have the most boring answer that could possibly be. It's a tie between Dwayne and Dickie. Yeah, it may be it may be boring, but you know it's it's still excuse me, Dwayne. Who right? No, I'm just kidding. It it is it is what it is. You ask for my favorites. It's a tie between those two. There you go. Okay, Pat. Gary Rossington's in third, by the way. Well, I still, I still don't know what Southern Rock is, and I know you spent decades trying to define that for yourself. <laughs> right. I still don't know what right. it is he's, either. Right? He's written, he's written nine books about it, and he still can't tell you what it is. I go with Greg Allman, who said, "Saying Southern Rock is like saying rock, rock, because most right. rock and roll came from rock. the South anyway." If we're defining it as regionally specific, Peter Buck. Wow. Interesting, yeah. interesting. That choice, isn't a isn't good it? Southern rock player right there. I mean, uh, very, very distinctive player. He was not interested in hot licks and taking solos and breaking his uh, neck or anything right. like no, that. Another guy that is perfectly, and this is a theme that comes up in all the stuff that we like. Uh, right. Perfectly matched to the ensemble that he played in. Yeah. In another band, he man, it'd have been like, man, make him stop. 
<laughs> you know, but, uh, somebody, somebody take that damn thing away from him and tune it. He loves to play guitar too. Well, I mean, he sits yeah, he in did. with everybody. Well, and, and but uh, that's that REM stuff, man. I mean, he, he, he was, he was perfectly suited and perfectly matched with that particular group. When we talk about bass players today, that's what I used as a criteria for my, uh, for my bass list, it, it wasn't, you know, I didn't go for like hot bassist or, you know, that would have been Carol Kay or somebody. I went with the ensemble players that had a def, uh, defining role in the, in the band they played. But anyway, you know, uh, when you, when you talk about Peter Buck, I, I wish everybody could have experienced the one gig that I saw in 1992 at the, um, 40 watt club. And it was just a, it was like a jam thing. It was Michelle Malone. Peter Buck, Kevin Kenny, the bass player from Driving and Crying, and I forgot who the drummer was, but Pete was just wailing on the guitar. And he also did a he did a half a set where he was playing lap steel and just wearing that son of a gun out. Mm. I mean, so good. And he was playing lead on this these jam things. It wasn't like the REM style. Uh, you know, it was more like he was just playing blues. So he's really, he's a lot, he's, he was pretty, pretty deep player there. Um, mine, mine was going to be, uh, a kind of a cross. I mean, a toss up between toy, of course, and Richard Betts, Dickie Betts. Uh, I mean, I love Dwayne Allman. Don't get me wrong. I love all those guys, but something about Dickie Betts is playing just, uh, when he's on, it just really resonates with me. Um, it's the same with his singing. And I told him that in an interview years ago, I said, you know, I, I could listen to your, your singing and playing all day long. I mean, and I still feel that way. So anyway, you know, and that could change that opinion could change, you know, with the weather with me, but, uh, and, pro and probably will, and probably will, but anyway, the, huh. okay. Recommendations. Here we go. Recommendations. Well, let me go first. And then I you go, go first and, uh, <laughs> and we'll see what you got going on, baby. Okay. And then, and you're going to like this. I want to go first. Cause I didn't have one for this week. So what I did, <laughs> so what I do, I reached out to our friend rebel and rebel had a recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, he's probably going to wish he hadn't done that. Cause I'm just going to start getting him to do it for him. Yeah. Depending on him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I had never heard of this show. It's on Amazon. It's an anthology uh, program that went a couple of seasons, and it's called Lore. Uh, any any y'all ever heard of it? It explores. Well, he just uh, texted me and told me to watch it just a while ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it looks kind of creepy. It's like supernatural stuff, and it, it's uh, it, it explores uh, sort of the origins of of. Uh, folklore and urban legends and the creep, you know, the creepier aspect of them. And uh, I, I've never watched it, but I did a quick internet. What is it? The, the internet database, movie database. Uh, and uh, it, it ran for a couple of seasons. It started out as a, uh, it started out as a, uh, as a, like a podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm laughing not because the scary thing is funny, but we're all on video and I'm watching uh I'm watching Patrick try to pacify Zoe. And and Zoe wants him to play. But yeah. 
Yeah, I, she doesn't care at all if we finish the podcast. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but so Lore and and man, thank you, Rebel, for the uh, for the recommendation, man, because I had nothing. And well, I'm gonna clock out for a bit. I'll be back. I'm gonna go talk to Griff. All right, all right, Jim, you want to go next? Sure. Yeah. Uh, this has been one of those weeks where I don't have anything. Oh, God uh, damn it. <laughs> Sorry, man. He's, he's, no, it's not that he's wrestling the puppy. This, uh, any, anything formal. So I'm going to do my tooling around a couple discoveries. I had tooling around YouTube. And the first is there is uh, a full set of cheap tricks, initial appearance on Don Kirshner's rock concert available on YouTube, November 10th, 1977. It's three weeks after I saw them the first time. And they play a tight as a duck's ass, 20 minute set that probably is the same set I saw him play. Uh, hello there. Come on, come on. Hello, kitty. Southern girls down. Clock strikes 10. Good night there. Good night now, rather. 20 minutes of just. I tell you what, in 1977, for American rock and roll, there was cheap trick. There was the Ramones, and there, then there was everyone else. I'm going to believe <clears throat> forever. It is fantastic. Check it out. What a great rock and roll band. The other thing is I discovered this. I had not known that this that this side project existed. I'm not the world's biggest Green Day fan. Um, you know, they're fine. Um, you know, I, 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 but they do lots of side projects. And one of the side projects they do, two of them, uh, Billy Joe, the, the, the front man, and, and Mike Dirt, the bass player, they have a side project <clears throat> called The Cover Ups that is a cover band. Uh, and they have some other players in it, and they're se- I, I didn't even know they existed until this week. And there's some bootleg videos on uh, on YouTube, and they're 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 good, but their set list is incredible. The the tunes they play are just amazing. They usually open with "Color Me Impressed" by the Replacements, "Looking uh. Out on Love" by the Nerves, "I Can't Explain" by the Who, "Don't Change" by NXS. Teenage Kicks by the Undertones, Bastards wow. by the Replacements, wow. Miles Away by the Plimsolls, American Girl, Tom Petty, uh, Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic Furs, Ziggy Stardust by by Bowie, Surrender by Cheap Trick. I mean, just, a, just an amazing set list. Are they good? Eh. The drummer's great. It's not Green Day's drummer. It's some different drummer. He's really, really good. Uh, and they're fine, but the so- the set lists are just so cool that uh, you should check it out. They're called the cover up, uh, and I just I was just knocked out by the by the by the set lists. And the final plug I want to give is if you're a dinosaur with cable TV like me uh, and don't rely just on tr- streaming services, don't forget about Turner Classic Movies. Last week I think it was they had a night that had the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. They do Hitchcock about once a month. Um, tonight, The Third Man is on, one of Ooh. the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, just, and it's commercial free. And they do nothing but uh, noirs in Noir-vember. Yep. And, it just, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's commercial free. And, uh, and uh, what's his name? Mankiewicz does a lot of the introductions, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. you know, the, the screenwriter's kid. And uh, or is he his grandson? Might be his grandson. I think maybe it is. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's just so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the third man tonight. Uh, so uh, so I just thought I'd mention that it's just such a great channel. It's just so great. 
So that's nice. it. For me. Well, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I'm going to knock mine out right quick and then uh, run to the uh, refrigerator. Hey, wait a minute. What did he say? Uh, yeah, I've got two uh, quickly. Um, the, uh, one of them is a book that just came in. Uh, I haven't read it yet. I'll, well, actually, I read the uh, galleys uh, several months ago. Uh, by a guy named uh, Jerry Grillo <clears throat> and it's University of Georgia Press. And actually, uh, I uh, um, contributed in some way uh, as far as some of my articles and stuff like that. But it's called uh, The Music and Mythocracy of Colonel Bruce Hampton, a basically true biography. And it's a, quite a hoot because anybody who knew the colonel knew that he was a hoot uh and a wonderful guy and everything but even if you didn't personally know him uh you know you can appreciate he's he was like uh, bruce is kind of like uh i don't know i put him in the same category with captain beefheart frank zappa um all these kind of guys that were just you know in their own league as far as creativity uh so anyway i'll do a further dive into that after i reread it but um so that, uh, my favorite thing to say is that being said, I say that I noticed playing the podcast back that I say that like way too many times. So that being said, um, I want to, uh, last night I rewatched, uh, a film that has just been released on DVD. It came out on, uh, it came out on television on Netflix in 2019 and it's out on DVD now. And that is the, uh, Martin Scorsese film, Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story. And I'm just absolutely apeshit crazy over how much I like that movie. I tell you, Bob Dylan was so, so on during those shows. I think he was the best he's ever been. Yeah. So, so freaking good. And, and, and there were so many people in the, in the movie from Patti Smith to Ginsburg, Bette Midler to, on down the line, uh, and Sam Shepard, of course, that, uh, you know, and um, I thought things that I liked in the, I mean, there's so many things I like, but I like it that seeing the scene where Bob's driving his own tour bus, I'd only seen one other person do that. I saw David Allen Coe doing that in, uh, in that movie they did about um, outlaw, uh, outlaws and all. Um, and another scene with Dylan and Alex Ginsburg, at Jack Kerouac's grave, reading Jack Kerouac poems, man, that just, I just absolutely, and I loved the part where, uh, Bob is playing, uh, the, uh, the, uh, song of Ira Hayes for the Iroquois Indians. And he's walking around through all the, uh, native Americans with his guitar and just playing like a minstrel. And it's just, I don't know, it's something very special. And then uh, another thing that I just wanted to make note of, I mean, people don't care what I think, but I'm going to say it anyway. There was this reporter for Rolling Stone who was a bit of a jerk named Ratso. You, you know who that is. <laughs> Ratso, oh, it was like, uh, I kept seeing him on the a movie, you know, uh, and there was one thing where Bob is going onto the stage and Ratso's behind him. He goes, Bob, can I ask you one question? He's like, why would you ask a guy when he's stepping on stage an interview question? 
I don't know. To me, I just like was eh, maybe not. Um, two more things quickly. Uh, one of them was Bob talking to Joan Baez and kind of uh, talking about when they, you know, they had why each of them had married other people, et cetera, et cetera. And Bob said to Joan, uh, the problem is thinking the thought he said thought will fuck you up and i'm like <laughs> yeah yeah you're right and the greatest line in the whole thing was uh bob saying people keep asking me about the rolling thunder review but you know that happened so long ago i wasn't even born yet <laughs> so it's like uh yeah bob i hear you uh, so rolling thunder review scorsese uh you can catch it on netflix or purchase it like i did on um dvd because there's a few things that you just want to own forever and ever and that's one of them and that with that we will move over to patrick and uh let him uh talk for a little while here about uh, great I, stuff my suggestion is a timely one because we had saint patrick's day this week and uh my younger son and i were talking about what Irish movies we might watch and he did a little poking around and he said okay here's here's like the two or three I found that don't involve people getting shot or starved or shipped off to Gallipoli and then I remembered a thousand years ago I bought a VHS copy of the Pogues live at the town and country club on St. Patrick's Day in 1988 of course we don't have a VCR anymore, so <laughs> so it's just a piece of plastic. But I started poking around a little bit, and lo and behold, the full set is available on YouTube. And I said, Joe, we got to watch this. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's the Pogues. It's perfect. And he said, nobody but you and me are going to be interested in watching that, but we could just put it in now before everybody else gets here for dinner. I was like, fine. I'm going to the liquor store to buy a bottle of Jameson because it was St. Patrick's Day. Jameson is made in Cork. That's where most of my Irish side of the family comes from. So I went and got a Jameson and we put it on and we watched it. It was great. Peak Pogues. If the if I should fall from grace with God era Pogues and guest performances by Joe Strummer, Kirsty McCall, of course, and that dude from the specials who sang Rudy. Just a terrific <laughs> set. Just about an hour long. And so then the other kids did get here and we did have dinner. I only put in something else. I forget what it was. And uh, I accidentally turned on the Pogues thing again. <laughs> and Joe said, Dad, the reason we started this early was because nobody else would be interested except you and me. And I said, it's St. Patrick's Day. My name is Patrick. Nobody else gets a vote on this. So we watched it twice, and I hadn't watched it in years and years and years. And like I said, you can see the whole thing for free on YouTube. The Pogues, live at the town and country, St. Patrick's Day, the year of our Lord, 1988. That wow. is my recommendation. God, time flies. I wouldn't have guessed yeah. it had been that long ago, but damn. Yeah. Damn. Well, I hope you enjoyed your Jameson. I didn't get to the liquor store to get any jameson or red breast or anything like that and yeah. i drank i drank the last of my bottle of writer's tears a little bit ago so yeah, yeah. i went non i went without irish and was sad <laughs> well still irish people are sad without more that's whiskey true. That's true. <laughs> true enough so that's what i got 
Aha, uh-huh. I came back just in time, didn't I? You did. Yep. You did. Okay. Um let me see here. We um just give me a second as I move things around the screen. Right. Okay. Well, I know there's another song queued up. Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to play a song. How about that? <laughs> going to play a song and then uh, be back right after this song. And we'll talk about bass players. And um, y'all stick around. We'll be right back. in my head 
boy. He said, Mama, you got a boy child. Come and hit me a very rowdy one. Now, seen him take a little girl. Seen him take her by the hand. Now they went off in the woods and said about to understand your man. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. All right, we're back with uh, more stuff on the Kudzu Radio Hour. We're going to be talking about uh, great bass players, any genre. Um, they tend to be rock and roll, but not necessarily, um, you know, can be. So uh, anyway, uh, let's start um, by talking about, let's see, who should go first? How about Jim? He's good. Yeah. All right. Take it away, well, Jim. This is, I mean, you know, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. The, the, this is, you know, uh, there's so many. There's so many. I love rhythm sections. I talked way too much about drummers when we did drummers. I'm probably going to talk too much about bass players. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great bass players. I mean, I think of studio cats like James Jamerson of Motown or Carol Kay of the Wrecking Crew in L.A. or David Hood of the Swampers and Muscle Shoals. You think of the fusion players like Jocko Pastorius or Stanley Clark or Tal Winkenfeld. And if you don't know Tal, check her out. She is amazing. She's done a bunch of stuff with Jeff Beck, uh, and so you should check her out. And you think of the great rock players like John Antwistle and Jack Bruce and uh, Pino Palladino, who's playing with The Who now. Um, so many, and I don't know how to narrow it down. So all those I just mentioned, I'm not going to mention. Um, I decided instead to go very genre-specific. And it's a genre at least I know something about, so this will be something unusual, me talking about something I know something about. And as a result of the genre I've chosen, my list is very male, very white, and very British. But so be it. And that is uh, alternate, early alternative, post-punk, whatever you want to call it, bass players from late 70s into the early to mid 80s. And I picked this genre because there are a lot of bass players that I think are underappreciated in this genre. And they and a lot of bands approach bass differently uh, than traditional uh, rock or even rock or jazz or whatever playing uh, country playing that was more pocket playing. Um, and the note choices they made were more melodic 
actually owed a lot to, uh, you know, I could trace it back to McCartney, uh, sometimes more than anything else. Um, so these are, these are my choices uh, in, within that genre. Number one is Bruce Thomas of Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Amazing player. He's more of a traditional player. He plays finger style with a Fender Precision with a, a pretty, uh, pretty traditional tone. And he is just a fantastic player. Um, listen to Pump It Up listen to this year's girl so many great bass lines he's very busy extremely busy but also in the pocket and a solid groove and it's too bad he and elvis eventually couldn't get along to the point where they can't play together anymore um but uh bruce thomas is a fantastic player uh and that early elvis costello stuff once the attractions came in starting on the second record this year's model and then through the next 12 or so years, just some amazing, amazing bass work. And, and I just don't think that Bruce Thomas gets his due. He's a great player. And even traditional bass players can appreciate him because he comes out of kind of old school. He was a Steely Dan fan and Elvis almost didn't hire him because he was a Steely Dan fan. So, uh, so Bruce Thomas is great. Uh, and around the same time and mining a similar vein, but a, with a completely different style, but still a great player is Graham Maybe from the original Joe Jackson band. Um, much more trebly tone, plays with a pick, uh, but is a great player and has some inventive lines as well. Listen to One More Time off the first record, Look Sharp, or On Your Radio from their second record, I'm the Man. Uh, I saw Graham maybe once playing bass for uh, Marshall Crenshaw. Uh, so he's played with other folks too, but he's just a terrific, terrific player. Uh, a few years back, the original Joe Jackson band did a reunion tour and I saw him and he was as good as ever. Uh, and he's just a terrific player and drove a lot of those songs. You know, that that kind of reggae influence bass line he does in Sunday Papers is really s taking the place of a lot of guitar melody. So he approaches the bass kind of like a guitarist would, which was uh, some of the other folks on my list have in common, uh, including the next one, Peter Hook of Joy Division and New Order. Um, you know, very, very, uh, you know, uh, apropos for his name, had a, was responsible for a lot of the hooks in those great Joy Division songs, Love Will Tear Us Apart and a lot of the others, and also played high up the neck and played very melodically uh, and, and, you know, really, really was, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the forerunners in this, in this type of, in this type of style. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, eventually had a falling out and is no longer in New Order, but he tours with his band, The Light. And one of the cool things about Peter Hook and The Light, other than the fact that they do almost all Joy Division songs, which is fantastic, is he plays so much up the neck and everything that he has another bass player in his band. They have two bass players. One of them plays traditional bass lines, and then Peter Hook is, does does lead vocals and also does his distinctive up the neck up the neck things and he's just a, a terrific player and apparently a a very difficult personality which makes me like him even more he's written three very funny books yes i i'm told yeah. i'm told yes and uh so peter hook is number three on my list number four the one ringer the one american on my list mike mills of rem uh and also a converted guitar player plays mostly with a pick but can play with his fingers too you know early on had kind of that trebly uh rickenbacker sound and then later on moved to a fender precision and started playing more with his fingers so a more traditional sound but again 
in in REM, a lot of the propulsion, a lot of the melody comes from the bass lines rather than the guitar. While Peter Hook, Peter Buck is doing his, you know, arpeggiated chords and right. he's ringing out jangly stuff. You've got Mike Mills moving all over the neck. Radio Free Europe, Life and How to Live It, a bunch of a bunch of examples. Can't get there from here. A whole bunch of stuff. Um, and you know, REM had legions of imitators, and and part of it was that the way that Mike Mills approached bass playing in that band. So he's number four on my list. And then number five is a guy named Dave Allen from gang of four, the gang of four's original bass player. Gang of four's first full album entertainment is an album that I love deeply. And the first time I heard it, I thought, what in the hell is this shit? It sounded (laughs) so different. Every instrument, you know, the guitar, it's a very spare band. I mean, it's a four piece, but one guy only sings. So it's guitar, bass, and drums, almost no overdubs. The tone of every instrument is what would generally be considered to be awful tone. The guitar has this really spiky, solid state. Brittle, brittle. The bass, the bass is extremely treble heavy, mostly played with the pick, very in your face. One of the things about that record is it is almost completely dry. And what I mean by that is there's very little echo or reverb. Everything is just mixed right, punching you in the face. And it is an uncomfortable sound, but it is a sound that's so unique and so terrific. And the songs are terrific. And you listen to the bass lines in in songs like uh, uh, Damaged Goods. They are just amazing this record was hugely influential to flea of the red hot chili peppers who of course is a virtuoso bassist it's one of his favorite records and it was very uh, very, had a lot to do with the way he plays bass it's english white boy post-punk band trying to play funk yeah and somehow succeeding not in playing funk but in playing something that was uniquely their own and uniquely different and uh so that and his bass, Dave Allen's bass playing on that record is fantastic. He ended up leaving Gang of Four and starting a, another band called Shriek Back, and now he it, does a lot of stuff on the business side of music and music gear and that sort of thing. But uh, that is just a landmark album to me in post-punk bass playing, along with the Joy Division stuff. Uh, so uh, that's my list: Bruce Thomas, Graham, maybe Peter Hook, Mike Mills, Dave Allen. Well, good list, man. Just fine. Just good stuff all around. I'm going to insert myself again, uh, which, of course, uh, don't try this at home. Um, don't insert yourself in public. I think you can be arrested. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to do this because simply because I have so much respect for Patrick that I always like to let him kind of wrap it up. But, uh, well, of course, we never know. Billy might show up again, and uh, God only knows. Uh, so I'm going to pull a gym. Okay. I'm going to pull a gym and I'm going to name, I'm going to tell y'all a few that didn't make my list, but should have, because there's just so damn many good ones. It's almost impossible. Um, there's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold. No, there's a lady bass player that I just dearly love. Her name is Gail Ann Dorsey. She played bass for David Bowie from 95 until his passing. Yep. And she is so good. Oh, love Gail. She's always in the pocket and she's the coolest chick in the world. 
man she just is so cool on stage it's not even funny uh i love her uh another one that is one of the best ever is jack bruce from cream just phenomenal yeah Uh, of course jaco pastoris as jim said when you talk about jazz you're talking about jaco um another one i wish could have been on my top five tommy caldwell from the marshall tucker band he uh, was the undisputed leader of the band and um and just a solid 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 bass player especially for you marshall tucker fans you remember from the song cattle drive and those things where he would just be slapping that bass and uh you know like his brother toy he also played with his thumb played the bass with his thumb like toy played the guitar with his thumb and they got it from their daddy toy senior who played with his thumb so it's like a you know uh hereditary thing i suppose um also another bass player that i just dearly loved for years was dennis dunaway from alice cooper just a fantastic player and another one from uh, my high school days another chick that i dig can i say that a chick that i dig Susie no. quattro yeah man she's badass and yeah, uh, absolutely saw her open for alice cooper in 75 and she was just you know so funny because the the bass was so much bigger than she was but she was just ripping it up and then finally on my other one that's not on my list is a guy named michael scott lakowski bass player for the band pylon and uh when i used to see pylon a lot back in the day i was just duly impressed uh by his bass player and what's interesting is that the band were not even musicians when i got together and they ended up getting so good i mean it was just it was you know you talk about something fresh and new and exciting i mean it was really great uh now to my list bum 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 number five coming in at number five on the countdown is a guy the late great alan woody who played for eight years as a member of the Almond Brothers Band and co-founded the band Government Mule with Warren Haynes and Matt Apps. Uh, before the Almond Brothers, Woody had played in several bands, including the Artemis Pile Band, and get this, the Peter Chris Group. Yes, <laughs> wow. he played in the Peter Chris Group, and uh, he told me one time, he said, that guy's an asshole. <laughs> 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 I said, well, come on, Alan. Tell me what you really think, bud. Uh, great, man. He's just a driving bass player. He's one of these that just, you know, his bass line never stops. It's just do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I mean, keeps going. Uh, I've got a lot of funk in my list. Uh, in, uh, and there's make your own joke there. But number four is a guy named Bootsy Collins. Mm-hmm. James played with James Brown, played with Parliament Funkadelic. Bootsy's rubber band man brought the theatrical glitter funk out uh, virtually anything that he played on by Parliament Funkadelic or the rubber band is killer. Bootsy. I love Bootsy. Number three, I head into the jazz territory with a guy named Stanley Clark. Mm-hmm. And I go back to high school when I had an album called School Days. I didn't Does know. have rock and roll jelly on it? It, he did. The, I didn't know anything at all about jazz yep. at all. I just found that record at a flea market 
and man i got so into it it wasn't even funny uh that album of course reached number 34 on the billboard billboard top 200 and uh one of number two in the jazz albums but great and i put a little line here i thought i was making i thought i was making a good one and billy will just groan amazing bass how sweet the sound oh did it really thank you thank you thank you i'll be here all night because nobody's gonna hire me number two is my <laughs> it's funny that in the top five i had two guys that played bass for the Altman brothers number two is barry oakley the oak the original bass player for the Allman Brothers band, solid and always in the pocket. Along with drummers Butch Trucks and J-Mo, he created a solid bedrock for the guitars of Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman and the vocals of Gregory. Choice work at the Fillmore East, of course. Uh, the, uh, by the way, the recordings, the recording of Fillmore East just celebrated 50th birthday last week. 50 years ago, that was recorded. 50 years ago. Also, Barry on uh, Eat a Peach, Mountain Jam. Yeah, that's a whole side of uh, one of the LPs on Eat a Peach. And uh, Hoochie Coochie Man, which, of course, uh, we uh, actually just played that coming into the segment. Hoochie Coochie Man, uh, the Almond Brothers version. And that's the only song Barry actually sang with the Almond Brothers. But he, his bass was really good, too. Uh Love to play his Fender Jazz guitar, uh, bass, and uh, man, very good. The vocal on the Hoochie by the way, is very reminiscent of some old Johnny Winter kind of thing. Uh, Barry Oakley uh, comes in at my number two. My number one is back to the funk yet again. My favorite bass player probably ever is Larry Graham from Sly and the Family Stone. Hmm? A very percussive bass, percussive and funky. Great songs like Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again, Everyday People Dance to the Music, and the one that we're going to close the show out with today, I Want to Take You Higher, uh, Larry Graham, number one, number one, number one. And Billy's back, so he can do his now, just in time before we left without him. Has everybody already done this? Everything's done except you. No. And I, I don't. Patrick hey. hasn't done his. What am oh, I? And, I'm of, sorry, and Patrick. I was saving no, I'll, Pat for last. I'll Go ahead, Billy. You did yours and then let Patrick wrap okay. it up. Uh, again, <laughs> I did. I did like I tend to do, and I didn't necessarily pick the, you know, hottest bass licks or the most technical proficiency. I, uh, I picked guys that had that made huge impacts on the on the groups that they played in. That that the group would would not have been the same. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it would have, it would have just, it would have fundamentally changed the bands that they were in or the records that they were on had it been a different bass player. It might've been as good, but it wouldn't, but it would have certainly not been the same. And, uh, I'm going to start with Howie Epstein from, uh, from Petty's band from the Heartbreakers. And he replaced Ron Blair, who I think is their bass player again now, uh, or was. Yeah, yeah. Ron Blair, Blair replaced him as well. Well, yeah, he, and he man, replaced and I, Ron Blair, and then Ron Blair replaced Howie. And me and Ron Blair, right? He, you know that, you know, simple, solid, you know, deep groove. But they, uh, I don't know, man. Petty stuff got 
it, it got punchier. It, it got a little more energetic when when uh when uh Harry Epstein. I'm trying to remember. Was his first record "Damn Torpedoes"? Oh no 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 no. Uh, yeah, I'm blanking on when he when he first came in the band. I know Ron Blair. I mean, they were already up and well established when Ron Blair left. Uh, but you know, uh, Harry Epstein and he played bass, but he put a real thumbprint in that band because he played what about a half a dozen other instruments and he was a fairly accomplished producer he produced one of i was a great uh, harmony vocalist yeah he produced one of uh patrick's uh favorite albums that john prine uh the missing years album. Mm-hmm. yeah that was, that yeah was, and and I, I don't know man i think he just i, I think he just kind of elevated sort of everybody's I don't necessarily want to say the the performances, but he, he just he gave that band a little more a little more horsepower than it had, and they were a great band before that. But uh, I but think I, I think Southern Accents might have been his first record. Yeah, that, and that was, that's that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, that was one of Dave Stewart. Yeah, 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 and it had uh, yeah, it had. Uh, born a rebel and and yeah yeah um and again man just punch your that's kind of a hard record to just kind of put in with the rest of petty stuff on because it had that dave stewart effect on it i mean you could tell that you could tell that they had changed producers Mm -hmm. and i you know and I'm, i'm wondering if that directional change you know wasn't in part uh spawned because of because they had a new bass player and and uh and how he was you know, again, really professional, more than one instrument as a singer and as a producer and an engineer. But anyway, uh, Howie Epstein, uh, the Heartbreakers. Uh, th- this next one is really obvious. Uh, Billman with the Rolling Stones. And as everybody that knows me and or anything about me knows what a Stones fan I am, but I hadn't really dug them since Wyman left. He, they still play great. Uh, they still sound kind of like the Stones, but they sound like the Stones with without Bill Wyman, which I which I don't like as much. Uh, you know, he was he uh, he he set the table so so well for whatever lead players were. You know, Keith certainly, but regardless of who was playing lead and the the second guitar player in that band. As long as as long as it was Wyman and Keith, man, it, it kind of had that signature Stonesy kind of feel to it. And when when that band added uh, Ronnie Wood, man, I mean that was that to me is like the perfect trio and uh, of, of uh, you know instrumentation there. And and it, huge part of that signature sound that that was the Rolling Stones regardless of what style, you know, they could be doing uh, a straight up blues thing or a country thing or, or even a disco thing. And it just, it held together. And I think that that was Bill Wyman. Um, so them were my first two. My, th- uh, my third one is Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead. I am not a deadhead. I had a couple of their records. I like their hits. Uh a lot of that live stuff I've heard, I think, is kind of noisy. <laughs> but uh, 
again, uh, perfect, again, a perfect player for the group that he was in. And I could say the exact same things about Phil Lesh that I said about, about Bill Wyman without, uh, with anybody else, with anybody else playing bass, I just don't think it holds together as well. He, he left, a, you know, he, he made it possible for, for, uh, we Garcia to kind of get out there on the edge and be weird and be, you know, be experimental and, be out of tune and play the wrong key and, and all you know and all that kind of stuff because uh he always held he always held it down and he kept the groove going and a lot of the time kept the melody going too and uh you know just uh, i think uh i think without him without bill Esch particularly playing in that group you know that they're Maybe not a bad man, but they but they certainly are not able to to hit those magic moments that they were able to hit with that classic lineup. Uh, number number four, and uh, I thought of this one when Pat was uh, picking his favorite was picking his favorite Southern rock guitarist, and I don't know why I didn't think of him before, but Mike Mills from R.E.M. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, you weren't you weren't here. He was on my list too. I mean, he's there's you don't hear any anything he does go. Oh God, man, he's red hot. <laughs> you know, but uh, but he's but he's real solid and uh, and I've seen him play in in uh, didn't he play bass in uh, the baseball project? He mm-hmm. did. Yeah, I I saw that. I saw them play a couple of times. I didn't particularly like the material, but again. Just a rock solid, you know, groove oriented player, and and uh, and I'd said earlier about you know uh, Peter Buck being perfectly matched to that group. Part of that was because of Mike Mills. They, yep. he had a rhythm section that that you know uh, Mills. They, they that rhythm section was was hand in glove with the style of guitar that, that Peter Buck played. And it really, really worked. And the reason I think that you look at those particular individuals and you think if there was anybody else in there, it wouldn't work as well. And I was already kind of playing in bands some when, when those guys broke real big. And I saw every band in the world suddenly try to sound like them. Yep. And almost nobody could pull it off or even get close. I mean, not, not in any, not in any kind of, not with any kind of depth. And you gotta, you gotta credit the rhythm section uh, for that. And, and a lot of that was Mike Mills. Uh, I'm not sure how many in our, I know some of our audience is going to know this next guy and all of y'all will, uh, but Chris Etheridge is my final pick. Mm-hmm. And he was the original bass player in the original lineup of the Flying Burrito Brothers. He also played, you know, I don't know, in like every L.A. country band that there ever was at one time. I, I think at one time there, there was probably only like four or five bass players in California. <laughs> and they and they all played in the same bands. But uh, I picked Chris Etheridge uh, off the strength of just the uh, – the Gilded Palace to Sin album, and, and you listen to just the bass, the the bass playing, and again he he 
he had to leave a lot of room for Sneaky Pete. They had to leave a lot of room for all the vocals. And um, and instrumentally, it, it was that record comes off as a Sneaky Pete's, it's Sneaky Pete's band instrumentally. But he but he but he held all of it up, man, and he and he and it kept it, it had depth, it had texture, and it made it made it work. And and it made it work in uh it made it work on a level in country, man, that was more than just boom, ba boom, you know. Uh he he played some stuff without seeming to overplay. And and uh again, I can't say really about the band so much because they kind of started to disintegrate right then. But I think with a different bass player, that's a that's a really different that's a really different album, and, and maybe not the uh, and maybe not the influential work that it that it turned that it became, you know. And and he was just a you know, good solid whatever you want to call it, rock country country rock. I mean, he played played rock stuff. And, uh, so yeah, that's my list. And and again, my guys were not there for technical proficiency or red hot licks. It was what they brought to the, the ensemble or a particular work that they worked on. Good stuff. Good stuff. Very good. Very good. Moving right wow. on to Patrick yeah. Beach. I've got I a. Couple, I can't wait to hear this. I've got a couple of uh, preambles uh, before I get to my uh, <laughs> my list, and as predicted. Uh, I am going to have some overlap with Jim, but we all know the joke and I'll tell it quickly because somebody out there listening might not have heard it about the, the English explorer who's hiking through the jungle with a guide that's reported to be populated with uh, cannibals and they hear drums off in the distance and they keep going and the drums keep getting louder and louder and louder. And the guide says, no, it's okay. We can keep going. No, it's okay. We can keep going. And the drums get louder and louder and louder. And then they stop. And the guide says, hang on. And the explorer says, why? And the guide says, because this means bass solo. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. We have that to, one, uh, yeah, because we can't. We, we, stop. Turn back. Bass solo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah stop. Turn back. Yeah. <clears throat> I, thought, I thought I would reduce, reduce the labor and, and be smart and just do reggae bassists because... In reggae, and to a lesser extent, ska, the bass almost always is the lead instrument, the one that carries the melody. So I started thinking about that, and then I started thinking the reggae, the reggae bass, the reggae uh, rhythm section, rather, is a unit. You can't separate Sly and Robbie, you know? They, they function together so seamlessly. They're nothing without each other. So... I've got no reggae. Overlap number one, I've got to say a few more words about Tal. Uh, the first couple of times that Jim and I saw her play with Beck, as, as Jim put it, she looks like, you know, somebody <laughs> did somebody's daughter a favor because she was so very, very young yeah. when she was playing with Beck. And the reason for that is she left secondary school in Sydney when she was 15 or 16 to go pro. And took off almost immediately. She, and she's she, played with. She, she was young and looked even younger. Yeah, she yeah. she was she was a teenager. But she looked like she was barely a teenager. Yeah, exactly. And just a phenomenal player. We were like, who is this person? Who is this this 
red-haired wonderkind, which she most certainly was. And she went on to play uh, a little bit with Wayne Kravitz. I think she had something or other to do with Chick Corea. She sat in with the Almonds. And around 2010, she did some uh, recording with Prince. So she's very, very versatile, very in demand. She also fronts her own group in which she plays guitar and bass. But Tal Wilkenfeld is, is definitely looking worth looking out. And uh, I know this is another name we've mentioned before, but not today. Larry Graham, of course, the pride of East Texas, the, the inventor of the slap thumping bass in Sly and the Family Stone such an exuberant player and you just you just hear you hear that pop and and you know he influenced thousands of other players after that so we've talked about him before enough said about larry um this is obvious for me but i've got to say a few words about tom peterson most famous for his use of the Hamer 12-string bass, which I, I've never put my hands on one, so I can't even imagine how that works. Well, but, just, uh, hear, just hearing that has kind of left me feeling a little queasy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an eight-string except with four more strings. Well, yeah. I was going to say, man, I, you know, I, I've actually – we've actually auditioned bass players that didn't get this gig because they showed up with a five-string bass. Yeah, yeah. Uh but I mean, the, the thing about Peterson is his playing always adds something to the song and his, his tones are, are very varied and distinct. And I asked him about that one time about how he approaches, you know, a, a new song. And he said, it's just whatever that song needs. That's the part that I write. And that's the tones that I dial in and things like that. And also he gets, he gets a little bit of solo space. One of those, one of those uh, bands that you see that, the bass player takes a solo and not the entire house goes and gets another beer. <laughs> but, but he's not just a pretty boy. He's a very good player and has been a, an influence of his own, including on uh, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam, who has the names of his favorite bass players written on the neck of one of his P basses. And, <laughs> and uh, Tom, just for, you know, a little, extra inspiration if he's feeling down or a little tired uh overlap number two yes a, still a few more words about peter hook and i guess the only thing i would add to what jim had to say all of which is true and accurate is that the reason he played high up on the neck is because the amps that they were playing through were so crappy he couldn't hear the low end so that's why he developed the style that defined joy division sound it was it was just uh, out of necessity and desperation, but a phenomenal player. I think he'd be fun to hang out with. I don't think anybody from New Orleans wants to hang out with him. But <laughs> but Jim and I Jim and I saw Peter Hook at the Light and Riot Fest in Chicago a few years ago, maybe six years ago. And man, if it wasn't a fabulous show, it was terrific. I have subsequently seen New Order at the Riot Fest the following year, and they were good. They were borderline great. They weren't nearly as good as Peter Hook and the like. So, and my number one, one of the absolute greatest bass players of all time, Mike freaking Watts. But of mm, course, but call. of great course, Minutemen, Firehose, a bass duo with his wife called Dose, uh, toured with the Stooges late in their career 
a very, very, very busy basis and not a distractingly busy basis, not a show-offy basis like Les Claypool. I can't stand Primus. Les, Les, Les Claypool is a nice guy. I interviewed him once and I said, so does a band have like Primus have groupies? And, and Claypool says, no, we don't have groupies. I, I get guys who want to take me fishing. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're not my cup of tea, but what is a different kind of basis because he plays it as a lead instrument. And in the Minutemen particularly, there were three lead players, you know, yeah. and they were all out front. D Boone's vision of that band was to be extremely democratic, to have it be, as he put it, a redistribution of wealth to put the bass <laughs> and the drums really up front. And what just as 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 much of as as D or Hurley made that band uh, oh, no question. what they were. And sometimes it wasn't so great. There's parts of double nickels on the dime that it just sounds like three guys playing in different rooms and not listening to each other. You've got but, a minute. It's like someone said, you've got a minute and a half, the three of you, the first one to finish to play the most notes and finish first. Go. <laughs> yeah. But they were all such yeah. great players, though. Yeah, yeah, and like D Boone said, yes, they were, uh, they were, they were, they they had a knack for brevity, to be sure. And like D Boone said, if if we heard the bombs falling, we'd probably cut out the guitar solos and cuss a lot more in our songs. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love Watt, and also when you see him live, he is enormous fun to watch. Yes, he, he is. just he puffs up his cheeks, and he just he's he's an incredibly physical player. So he might be my all-time favorite bass player, even though I don't listen to obsessively the Minutemen or Firehose. But man, my, one time I saw it was a go it was a good Firehose show I saw. You were gonna say there, Jim? Michael is is he is such a dude. Not only is he a great bass player, he's also one of the nicest guys in punk rock. And he's sixty plus years old and still gets in smelly vans and does goes out and does uh -huh. tours. I mean, yeah. obviously not in the past year, but the I mean, you know, and I might be the only person who saw both the Monkees and the Mike Mike Watt band in the same night. So I was, <laughs> I was in Santa Barbara one night and I saw the Monkees and then walked down the street to a to a little club that was packed and the Mike Watt band was playing and uh, it's just so much fun to see live. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. I got Tal. Uh, I got Larry Graham. I got Tom Peterson. I got Peter hook. and I got Watt. My got work what? here is finished. <laughs> got what? Got what? That's a good one, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we fully agree on Larry Graham. That's for sure. Uh, the, um, all right. Well, um, well, your guys, your mission for next week, if you decide to accept it, is an uh, interesting category, uh, kind of, kind of, kind of. Now, this is any genre. It can be country. It can be rock. It can no, be. No, it's got to be Southern rock. No, I ain't got, no. In fact, if it's Southern yeah, rock, you you're get the fired. Master, you're the master of Southern rock, and it has to be Southern rock. And, <laughs> and not there just I, any yeah. Southern rock. It can only be Leonard Skinner, the Almond Brothers, <sighs> Or the Charlie Daniels band can't Marshall Tucker band doesn't count. <laughs> God, okay, Billy, go I, ahead. okay, go ahead. I really hate you. <laughs> no, uh, I'm anyway, I'm, cha I'm channeling our the mail we get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Like, yeah, you, you're doing a fine job of it. <laughs> uh, we any genre of uh, great duets. Uh, yeah, 
duets. It can be like a one-off duet, or it can be, you know, somebody did a whole album together or whatever, you know. Can it, it be matter. Tom Parsons and Amy Harris? Yeah, it can be. And, you know, of course, yeah, you get the Fallen Angels album. And, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and I hadn't even thought of them, but that's a good one. Um, yeah. So that's are we it. Going, are we going for quality here or are we going for oddness of the pairing? It's whatever you want to do. Uh, there are no rules. Oh, good. I'll do just a mix. Just duets. And I'm going to you know, do a mix. Please just don't do John Denver and the Muppets, okay? Oh, um, damn it. There's I, I know Jesus, that was. Man. <laughs> Get what, off my what about, damn list. <laughs> what, about, what about Prince and the Muppets? Prince and the Muppets, Alice Cooper and the Muppets, anybody in the Muppets is good uh, because they always make the artists look good. Uh, anyway, that's it. And uh, we'll do duets and um, and all like that. So uh, we're going to close the program out with a little uh, bass, a little about, because we are all about that bass, about that bass. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be, uh, what did I say? It was, oh, Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah, I want to take you higher. Larry Graham. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And we want to uh, say thank you to Jim Hemphill, Patrick Beach, and Billy Eli. As you always. are welcome. Great, great, uh, with great appreciation. And uh, we will see you all next time. And everybody say bye. And we will play a little bit of, uh, yeah. Fly. See you guys next week, man. Bye, Bye. y'all. Bye, boys.
Oh yeah, man. That's funky right there, baby. Sly and the family stone with the great Larry Graham on bass. I want to take you higher, man. What a great song to close out the program today. All about bass players, all about that bass, about that bass, about that bass, man. Oh yeah. You know, every, every great rock and roll song, man, needs a good bass and drum section, man. That's how you got to have that foundation, you know, and there are so many great bass players and Larry Graham is certainly, certainly one of the best ever. Well, it's going to wrap up the program for today. Thank you for tuning in. We sure appreciate it very, very much. Uh, please write to us at kudzumag at yahoo.com. Let us know what you think. Please share the link and uh, tell your friends and all so we can grow the audience. And, you know, the bigger the audience is, the more uh, able we will be to do things like big contests and giveaways and you know all kinds of things like that that we want to do you know and that we love to do the program uh as always as always was brought to you in living color <laughs> it's always in living color by springer mountain farms springer mountain farms fresh chicken the best raised on family farms man Fresh, fresh, fresh chicken. Responsibly raised on family farms. You can get the chicken or read about the chicken or have the chicken delivered to your door. Just go to springermountain.com. Springer, it's a springermtn.com. And Gus and everybody over there in Georgia will hook you up with some good bird. I'm going to tell you what, it sure is good. Springer Mountain Farms. Program is also brought to you by that little old band from LA called the Boxmasters. One of my favorite bands, by the way. And um, they rock out, man. Bud Thornton and JD Andrew are a prolific songwriting team. Fantastic. Now, everybody knows Bud from his uh, day job as an actor, Oscar winning actor. Golden Globe winning actor, director, screenwriter, and man, yeah, he's fantastic in that role, but guess what? He's equally fantastic as a songwriter, singer, and drummer in the Boxmasters, and he's teamed up for years now, at least 13, 14 years, with J.D. Andrew, a engineer producer uh, with a list of credits a mile long and a multi-instrumentalist. And together, those guys are incredible. They're unstoppable. They've written so many great songs, recorded so many great albums. Um, just got through recording a new Christmas album that's going to be out for next year. And uh, they've got at least another album or two in the can already. But what we want to talk, tell you about right now is the current record. It's called Light Rays. And it's been getting great reviews. Great reviews all around the country, all around the world. And uh, the album is fantastic, Light Race. Get it on CD, downloads, or beautiful vinyl. Oh, I'm going to tell you what. I've got the vinyl, and it sounds so good. I'm a big fan of listening to good old-fashioned records. I still am. 
I guess that means I'm an old guy. Well, not necessarily. A lot of the young bloods these days are buying vinyl too, and they need to get the Boxmasters LP. Go over to uh, theboxmasters.com, theboxmasters.com to order the music, to read about them, and much more. Man, yeah. Well, thanks. These, we thank those guys for always being in our corner, and we'll be in their corner until the day we are no longer around. I don't even think about that. Uh, hey, thanks again for tuning in. And uh, we greatly appreciate it. And I hope you'll uh, tune in again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel right here to hear the Kudzu Radio Hour. Thanks again to Billy Eli, Patrick Beach, and Jim Hemphill. And uh, that's it, baby. Later. <laughs>